the mind-body connection is real and very powerful. And there's a lot more that healers, uh, doctors, nurse practitioners, PAs, what have you, should be doing to utilize it. And that we have a lot of inner strengths that we can access that we don't even know we have. And by utilizing these inner strengths and learning these mind-body techniques, we can just live happier, healthier lives. And the medical system can save a lot of money and uh, save, uh, prevent a lot of unnecessary tests and do better preventative care. Welcome to the Break the Chains, Find Your Flame podcast. Our goal of this podcast is to provide insight and wisdom into all things mental health, to sit down with individuals and talk about their journey, how they've broken free from the chains that bind them, to find their flame, their passions, and purpose. Welcome back to the podcast, listeners. As always, your host, Steve Opolinik, with another great episode for you today. Today's episode, our guest is Dr. David Gotzigan. Dr. Dave, as he likes to be called, get to sit down and talk about all things mind-body connection and how his practices of being a primary care doctor and working with youth is really important for the future of our communities and for the future of health and wellness because of his approach He's able to engage youth in a different way and support youth through the journey of not only health in general, but in mental health as well. He uses his own techniques in hypnosis and other techniques he's learned along the way as being an integrative doctor to help engage with his consumers in a way that is not really representative of primary care in general in our nation and he often gets cases that no one else knows what to do with. So super excited to have him on. He's got a book that he's working on releasing. We talk a little bit about his own journey, but then uh, we talk about what the book entails and he leaves us some amazing gems of knowledge to take with us after the podcast. So buckle up and enjoy the, the ride. And without further ado, here's Dr. Dave. Welcome, Dr. Dave. Super excited to have you today. Um, I know we've been setting this up for a little bit and life, it's just kind of gotten in the way of us sitting down and recording. Um, so I'm really excited to sit with you today, hold this space and get to know you're on the podcast and get your message out to a lot of people. So thank you for coming in today. Well, thank you for having me, Steve. I, I keep saying coming in and obviously it's digital. So you're not really coming into the office, but this is kind of what my life has been with doing therapy is just coming in is the digital space for me <laughs> now. Yeah. So. Oh, definitely. Uh, the last three years. It's a world of Zoom. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah. 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 So Dr. Dave, I, I'm wondering if you could, uh, I mean, you have a fantastic name that leads into 
your own superhero kind of conflict. You got Doctor Strange, you, you have all these other Doctor Dooms, uh, all these other doctors. So you're in good league with that, with Dr. Dave yeah. or Dr. Dave yeah. G. Yeah. I'm wondering if you could give the listeners a little bit of your origin story to keep mm -hmm. on brand on theme with the podcast, but then also with such a yeah. cool hero name. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, so I, you know, I grew up in uh, in suburban New York and also in Philadelphia, and um, you know, I was interested in a lot of things. Uh, I, I couldn't decide what I wanted to do with my life. Uh, sometimes I think I still can't, but but um, that's part of what got me into my work. I'm very much interested in nature and the natural world. Uh, very much interested in teaching. Um, I was a teacher for a year after college very much into psychology. Um, I thought of going into the therapy field, always interested in writing. And in fact, in college, which was uh, Brown, uh, Brown University, I was a double major in English and biology. And my biology focus was in ecology. And I almost went to Michigan. I was accepted uh, to into their ecology pro program. I was going to study butterflies. But I got into... Uh, my last uh, choice uh, of uh, colleges, I was at the time uh, pitching through Ireland with my girlfriend after college, and I heard about it, and I decided, what the heck, because I always did like, enjoy um, helping people through healing. Um, mm -hmm. You know, when I was a kid, uh, sledding down the hills in suburban White Plains, if somebody got hurt, I'd speed down there with my little first aid kit. I still remember doing that. And I had a an idea of doing international work or being a small town doc, uh, taking care of everything. So in fact, uh, when I went to, uh, and I'll just tell you one story uh, that I, I've told often, there was a pre-med dean at Brown. Brown was a wonderful place. I don't want to disparage it in any way. I loved it, yeah. um, especially my teacher of, of, of Shakespeare, William Sable, and uh, many of the other teachers. But there was a pre-med dean who said, why do you want to go into medicine? And uh, I said, to serve people. And, uh, I, I, and he said, his response was, if you want to serve people, why don't you become a waiter? So uh, I I had no, I could think of many responses for that now, but at the time I didn't say anything, but but um, that response has served me in good stead, uh, besides always making me a good tipper, um, uh, it, because it's helped me get through this COVID crisis when uh, hundreds of thousands of other doctors have left, keeping that service in mind. Um, so I went to um, SUNY at Buffalo, uh, which gave me a good education in that I was into um, social action then. Uh, my friend John Santelli was head of the American Medical Students Association chapter at the time. I don't know if that, know if that still exists, but we marched in the Love Canal, which was a site of pollution for chemical companies and marched in downtown Buffalo. He and I were both short. Um, uh, it didn't get us. It didn't uh, get in our way when when he was talking about one of our events. Uh, people in the back said, "Hey, stand up!" He was standing, so he stood <laughs> on the he stood on the desk and he said, yeah. uh, "Oh, is, is this better now?" Um, so I was involved in that. Involved, uh, you know, a lot of outdoor activities. I love skiing and all this stuff, which was good around Buffalo. And then I went to um, 
University of uh, Minnesota, Duluth in family practice. Uh, a great place, especially for the outdoors. We learned everything. I did a hundred deliveries in the, in the first year of my residency. Um, but I saw a lot of um, the adult population who got into trouble through um, their illnesses were a result of, of lifestyle habits, which were really discouraging, uh, like drinking and, and obesity, smoking, and so on. And I thought I really could do my best work helping kids. I also liked uh, uh, the elderly population as well, but I decided pediatrics was something that I could really concentrate um, and also focus on an area within the within the specialty, which was um, behavior and development. So I left Duluth with all its wonderful outdoor activities where we went on the Boundary Waters, winter camping and all all this wonderful stuff. Uh, I went to University of Minnesota um, in the Twin Cities. Uh, That was a real hardcore residency. On the good side, it taught me how to start an IV in anyone. Uh, We checked labs. We were just doing everything on call every other night. Um, Saw a lot of really acute illness. I was active in the bone marrow transplant ward. Um, But what I like best about some of those places, um, if if your listeners don't know, bone marrow transplants are where somebody with a very severe illness like cancer uh, incurable through traditional methods or um, a, a glycogen storage disease where they're producing, their metabolism just doesn't work. You're given chemo to, to completely wipe out your bone marrow and you're given a graft bone marrow from someone else that sort of takes over your system. It's a very risky procedure, especially then, and mortality rate was about 50%. Um, but what I, I liked about it is the spirituality of many of the staff and the families um, that sort of got them through. Um, and uh, there was a wonderful psychiatrist at the time, child psychiatrists aren't like this anymore, they mostly give meds, but she came and had a fantasy baseball game uh, that most of the kids there got involved with and it took them out of their world into the world of their imagination, which is something that I've found really, you know, very um, helpful. And I I met my two mentors there, Dan Cohen and Karen Olness, who are the co-authors of um, the textbook on pediatric hypnosis, clinical hypnosis with children and adolescents. Now, and it's fifth edition. And as opposed to the big mega complex of, of the university hospital, they worked out of this small house down the road. Um, and um, they would meet kids with headaches, stomach aches, uh, chronic pain that no one else really could help them with. And they would teach them simple modes of relaxation, using their imagination, um, giving simple suggestions, and it would really help their pain or really help their um, their issues like bedwetting or right. ticks. And I found this really p- powerful and interesting for me. So um, I 
took the training with them over the years, both in residency and after. And then I came to practice in uh, in in first Amherst Mass for a couple of years, and then most of my uh, professional life since 1992, I've been in Holyoke. Um, and that's been, um, you know, for me, uh, it's been challenging, but mostly great um, because at Holyoke Pediatrics, my colleagues and I really serve um, a population which has been underserved, really kids that a lot of them are poor, struggling, really diverse, you know, kids from all over Holyoke, Springfield, Chicopee, and then the rural towns up to as far as Conway and all over West Mass, we see professors, kids too. So a big diversity of, of uh, ethnicity, race, cultures, languages. And so it's been humbling in a way because, you know, I've learned a lot from my patients. And, you know, what I do with hypnosis, for me, it's very important I could do it here. Uh, I happen to be in our South Hadley office now. <laughs> our Holyoke office is open today. It's open seven days a week. Good. Uh, but I think for many alternative practitioners, you know, for example, if I went out on my own and take only private insurance or cash, the 60% of our patients who are on public insurance, mass health, where do they go? Right. So I think it's important for those of us who do um, so-called alternative therapies. And I can tell you, get into why I don't think what I do is alternative, um, really serve everybody. You know, the folks that need it the most are a lot of the kids and the families that are most challenged, you know, and have the, the toughest lives. So, right. And there's a lot to that. Like, I, I want to keep going with your story, but I, I just yeah. want to jump in real quick. And I think there's a lot yeah. to what you're saying too, because systemically that's kind of how it, it's set up with health and and the systems of health around that is access to care then also a lot of times you get a lot of different providers who um don't understand the story of the people that they're serving and coming in and so i think the fact that you know you're you're really in that area that touches upon all these diverse communities and, and people of different walks of life but then also you know you didn't go the the private sector route where you just like, oh, uh, private pay or private insurance is your, your kind of accessing and allowing people the access to care of care that you think is essential and is essential, right? As opposed to, you know, just a, a, a mill where people just come in and come out. Like the care, I think, and what you do is so, so essential. So I love that, that your um, hub is there and you're open seven days a week and you're doing that work. Yeah, that's right. So very cool. So, you, yeah. so you got established there. And then, so like one of the precipices of you coming in is uh, through all your years of, of doing this work. And I know that we're going to touch upon that label of alternative care. Cause I also uh, have been dubbed some of the stuff I do here in, in counseling is alternative medicine or alternative care, but I like to call it integrative instead of alternative. Um, bringing us to this point where you're working on a book and trying to get some of the message of the work that you're doing out there for people to understand. And I think one of the, the cool things I've done some studying of hypnosis too, for trauma and mental health is anytime you mention that 
people get taken aback because the, all they can think of is the stage show of hypnosis, right? And so I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about uh, your book called A Different Way of Healing, um, but then also some of these integrative measures that you take on on health in general. And, you know, I, it's a lot up front. So we're going to we're going to yeah. segment it out. But wherever you want to start on on what led you to write the book, A Different Way of Healing and uh, these connecting points of care and, and how important that is. Yeah, well, I, I wrote the book be, um, and it's just about done. And the next year, it might even, I'm hoping it'll get published. There's agents very interested and it's been a journey for sure. Um, but, you know, there are, the reason for the book is there are textbooks written for docs and therapists on using hypnosis, clinical hypnotherapy. There's um, a great one written by one of my teachers, Lynn Lyons, who's up in New Hampshire. She's lectured around here. Um, there's books for kids um, on doing meditation. And I suggest that. And uh, Babar does yoga. And I, I suggest books like that. Uh, um, but there's no book written for the, let's say the lay public or families that really explains what this stuff is. And it's not magic. Uh, it, one of my one of my mentors, Michael Yapko, says hypnosis is not that special, but it can do special things. So the way I like to explain it, it's sort of meditation for a medical purpose. It combines relaxation, usually, which most people think that's a good thing, with using your imagination and focusing with the aim to achieve a therapeutic goal, right? Nobody can be hypnotized if you don't want them to, you know, uh, it, that, that, and if you go on YouTube and look up hypnosis, there's all this awful stuff. Or if you think like of a movie of like Get Out, which was a great movie, but had one of the spookiest views of hypnosis I've ever seen, scare you right off. Uh, there's nothing dangerous about it. Uh, People talk about in the psychotherapy field, ab reactions. So we're trained, oh, what if someone cries? Well, I have people crying in my office almost every day. Isn't, yeah. isn't sadness part of life? Um, you talk about it as soon as, as sure as you know, being a therapist. Yeah. Freud said to have an, quote, ab reaction is a good thing. That's how you uh, solve your conflicts. So it, it gives the kids who may have had headaches or stomach aches for years and they're given drugs that don't work and get unnecessary tests. Mm -hmm. The feeling of really being uh, a, a feeling of feel of actually getting the experience of feeling better for the first time right in the office, right. you know. So you're not only hearing them, and I do a lot of listening to what what the history of what's been been happening with them, say with the headaches or stomach aches, for example, what's been done. Um, but I ask, I ask them, what do you think is causing the problem? Kids and adults aren't often asked that. I had one young man who had seen like seven doctors for chest pain, right? And uh, this was an article published about my work in 2004, actually, that talked about this. So I know I can talk about this case. <laughs> and he was a guy who was helping to support his mom who had chronic renal failure. He was playing football for his for a high school and also had a job. 
and he developed chest pain and been to the ERs. And I said, seen like seven doctors. I asked him what he thought was causing the pain. He thought it was a cancer in his heart. Mm -hmm. So the first start of therapy was reassuring him it wasn't that. And then I said, you are heart sick, but you have nothing wrong with your heart. (laughs) Uh, And from there, I explained how our mind and bodies work together. Um, and so the, the idea of the book is to explain this to, to parents. I go into the whole, the, the second chapter talks about integrative pediatrics in general. And so I don't isolate what I do. I, I believe in, first of all, a healthy lifestyle, which so many kids don't live, just generally healthy diet, fresh, organic when possible, stay away from artificial food colorings, especially if you have ADD, Um, getting enough sleep, which so many people don't uh, ask about or address. And so often kids now are giving, given sleeping pills, which don't work. (laughs) And, and something called sleep hygiene is the answer. I talk about getting fresh air, families doing fun stuff together, all that common sense stuff. Um, I talk about nutrition sleep, lifestyle, and uh, what's going on in school. I like to find out what kids' strengths are. So, so often, say your typical kid with ADD, you find out what all their problems are. The questionnaires say, what's your hyperactivity score, your impulsivity, your getting in trouble score, whatever it is, inattentiveness. But these kids, have uh, in a way a superpower. They they have their own superpowers, and that is to see things that others don't. You know right. that is, you know, there are a lot of famous people have ADD. You know uh, athletes, academics, Albert Einstein, Leonardo da Vinci, probably. You know these are people often with creative gifts. They're often empathic. They're kind people. Sure, they have problems, but I never let them forget what their strengths are, and kids can use their strengths in their healing. And that's whether it's ADD or autism or depression, anxiety, or physical problems like headaches, stomach aches, bedwetting, and I could talk about each one for an hour. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. Tick just ticks uh, Tourette's for which there's no good medical cure either. Mm-hmm. Um, and often no good psychological cure. Trichotillomania, picking at their skin or their eyebrows, mm-hmm. um, whole array of things. So, yeah. And I, I like that, I, especially like the ADHD kind of feel to what you were talking about is there's definitely some strengths there. I think it's hard you know, for, for people who have that diagnosis, because there are some strengths, but then also we're in a society that's really trying to pull people towards neurotypical kind of uh, marks of intelligence or education or conforming in societal settings. And, you know, so with all that creativity and that ability to hyper-focus and, and, you know, all those gifts that come with it, there is that flip side of, if not cultivated in a society that just tells them that they're different and they have to conform, then it becomes really 
a detriment to them. And and so we see a lot of depression that comes with, with that diagnosis as well. A lot of anxiety too, because of the repetitive, why can't you, why can't you, why can't you, you should, you should, you should. And I think your approach of being person-centered and, and sitting and listening is a really important medical model that we, we need to expand on. And I'm glad you're writing this book because I do think that's such a, an important part of doing this healing is having people come in and feeling like they can be heard or valued or seen by their providers. And I, you know, not to beat up the medical field at all, but I think there's a lot of people in the medical field that just kind of, you know, one and done and kind of move on. And especially when you're talking about diverse communities and racism and medical fields and things of this nature is not believing the client or the patient coming in about what's going on for them. So I love that you're talking about heart-centered uh, approaches and um, sitting and, and talking to the people that you serve, because that I, from my own experience and then from experience of a lot of the clients I go to, that's missing in a lot of providers. And I always like to remind people is like, Hey, you hire us. We work for you. So if we're not showing up for you, you need to tell us <laughs> and you know, yeah, and I, I think it's tricky because once that happens, if you voice that, a lot of the push from different places is, all right, we'll go somewhere else. And now you're have to wait all over again and repeat the story. And so if we can move the model to be more inclusive in that way and, you know, promote that that person centered kind of approach, I think I think there's great value in healing in that. Yeah, I I um you know, especially we have a real responsibility now because in, in Western Mass, because uh, of so many docs leaving the profession and practices closing, we were actually the last practice to take new patients. And even and now, finally, we've even closed our practice except to, to babies mm -hmm. because we just don't have the staff right. and uh, the ability to even take care of all our sick kids now hardly, you know, that call the same day. So it, it's really because the choices are fewer for pediatric care. It's really on us to, you know, do a good job. So, um, yeah, I, I just wanted to show you something actually, since we're on zoom, one thing is I love to get, um, patients drawings so they can tell me a lot. I know you use it in your therapy, uh, mm -hmm. But, um, you know, one thing that's been used in um, adult neurology, for example, is neurologists can tell uh, supposedly what a migraine is by what the patient, uh, the, the kind of picture a patient draws of it. And then pediatricians, pediatric neurologists came up with studies showing they could tell uh, if a child was having a migraine, but what kind of picture she or he was drawing. Oh, and wow. then- but so that's cool. But what I say is those of us that, that work with on the mind body and mind body medicine, we can not only use it to, to diagnose, but to treat because yeah. I kids draw a picture of themselves with a headache and then a picture what they're like without a headache. Mm -hmm. So the girl, a teenage girl who showed like lightning bolts coming out of her head with this terrific migraine and when she had it and then showed a picture of herself uh skateboarding at sunset without the headache this was long ago before many girls were skateboarding so i thought that was really cool 
But um, I said, you can go there in your imagination and feel like you are there instead of here, you know? So that's the um, beauty about like somatic work like that is, you know, again, like you said, it's not magical that this happens. Mm -hmm. It's that it's opening this door to the possibility because when you're in that moment, it's hard to see anything besides what's happening right now. And so the analogy I always say is, you know, if you wake up and you step on a Lego as you're getting out of bed, for anyone who's had kids before, this is a pretty common thing that happens. Um, you might have a terrible day because all you're doing is focusing on that first step out of bed and you step on a Lego and it's like, oh, today's going to be terrible because this happened. And then, you know, your your perspective is just this negative or limited thought for the rest of the day. Or you could honor that situation and, and kind of say, I'm here now, this this stinks, I didn't enjoy that, but I can shift my perspective to solution focused almost and say, oh, let me just be open how the rest of the day is. That doesn't mean it's going to be positive just because of it, but you're opening a door. And I think so much of what you're talking about is helping people open this door to healing. And then through somatic work, you can actually start doing that repetition work to kind of help that out. And I think the second part that is undervalued in a lot is the the act of visualization and and kind of working with the mind and the body together in tandem because they're the same, right? Um, to see yourself in a place of calmness or or health or whatever it is that you're working on, and you can work on getting your body to respond to what that would be like, even though it's a future memory that you're trying to establish just like past memories do that to our body we relive that past we can do that with future memories as well and you know drawing's a fantastic way to do it so i love seeing all that <laughs> that artwork and i think i spot spotted one that said uh, dr dave is a superhero so just to reaffirm uh, my earlier uh, kind of comment i think i think that works really well all right yeah i mean what you said steve is so true when you get out of bed and have that first you know, something crappy happens and and so a headache or tick or or stomach ache is something crappy in the case of stomach, you know, recurrent abdominal pain or IBS even and often starts with a stomach bug. But then this the stomach virus disappears, goes away, but the nerves in the GI tract keep sending the signals if something's wrong. It's like a false alarm, I explained, sent to a fire station. And then you keep having that signal that your body uses to warn you of something wrong, but there's nothing wrong now, but the signal keeps going, sort of like a computer that won't turn off. And, um, you know, I often ask kids about their history. I often see kids for consults who've seen many specialists. And often they've been told some like crazy stuff. I saw one kid with a, um, a, 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 a chronic cough. It was a, almost like a tick. It's called a habit cough. And he'd seen several specialists, ENT, pulmonology, allergy, and then seen, I think it was a neurologist who said, you've had this cough for so long, you'll probably have it for the next six years or something just crazy. I expect this this is going to just and I, I just, I said to the parents, like, how could he, I didn't, I thought of saying, how could he say that? I said, I think the doctor got it wrong. I think he meant to say six weeks, that that he, he meant to say six weeks. I just continued, I think within six weeks, it should be better. Not, 
you probably have it through this week, you know, mm-hmm. but um, w- so that was just me kind of riffing on this dumb specialist. But uh, often I'll say, you know, I wonder you've had these stomach aches for three years now and I don't expect they're going to disappear overnight. But usually when I see kids, it, something happens after our first session, either the frequency of them of the pain or the duration of it or the intensity gets better or sometimes a combination of those things i wonder what it's going to be like for you and that's it gets them thinking like hmm you think something's going to bet better maybe not all once hmm. so then i see them back and like this hmm, i've only had these stomach aches three days rather than every day and right. last all day they lasted six hours and maybe it was on a scale of you know it was like six out of 10 instead of eight. It said, oh, that's that's good. And the other point I wanted to, to make is that we talk about alternative. I prefer integrative too, of course, but should using meditation, which I also endorse and do like meditation, hypnosis, CBT for headaches, should that be alternative when the all the evidence, we talk about evidence-based medicine, right? All the evidence says, that is the best for migraine headaches right. in kids and probably adults. That's the best. Where medicines, there, there was an article in Pediatric Neurology Journal several years back. Boston children of all the medicines used for headache, headaches in children. They listed 140. So if you have 140 different medicines used for one disorder, do you think any of them are very effective? By the way, only six of them are approved by the FDA for use in kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, Topamax in teenagers and uh, and the triptans for all ages to abort headaches. Nothing. So really, only a few of them are approved. They tried 140, and the evidence shows that mind body medicine works the best. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, what should kids get as treatment? Yeah. A hundred, like I hundred percent agree with you. Is like yeah. these, there yeah. are these steps that we can take to kind of figure out yeah. what what's going on to help the issue, as opposed to treat the mm. symptom. And mm. you know, I think medicine obviously has its places, especially in mental health. Um, but there are steps that I think are missed to kind of sit with people and really get a, an understanding of you know exactly what's going on and do that work, just like you were talking about that you know, that habit call that you were talking about is you say you're going to have this for six years, that kid now has that narrative in their head and it's going to come to fruition. That's what they're focusing on. And it kind of perpetuates itself. And I think that goes back to exactly what you're talking about is doing that work up front. So you have a lot of people who come in that client that you mentioned in the book and that you just mentioned with the heart uh, concern and very easily could be, well, nothing's wrong. Okay. You're good to go. Like you were talking about the specialists. Um, but instead you approach and you're, you're curious and you, you try to get an understanding of where that person is and you hear them and you validate their experience. That's how you create this generative option for them in the future. As you know, I'm just kind of reiterating what I agree on, uh, everything that you've been mentioning is this idea of sitting with someone and hearing this and validating that experience even if it is, you know, because of, a, you know, something that just gets implanted in your head. Okay, the virus is gone. 
but you're still having stomach issues. The body's just remembering this and kind of sounding these false alarms. Um, there's still great value to sit with that person and hear them out because you could write it off as what did all the tests, nothing's wrong. See you later. But that still perpetuates those symptoms for that person. Now they feel like something is wrong with them or they don't feel true to what they're doing and they start gaslighting themselves, so to speak about their own health, which leads to medical trauma because now you have people who are afraid to go to the doctors when, when they're having these things, as opposed to feeling like, oh, I should be able to go and feel heard. And maybe we don't figure it out right away, but at least we, we start that process and we can point that needle in a good direction. Yeah, that just it, that hit the nail on the head just to leads me right to the next thing I was thinking of saying was people are afraid to go to the doctor. A lot of times it's because they get they get painful stuff done to them at the doctors. And one thing I've been working on for decades here at Holy Pediatrics, and finally I felt like I was hitting my head on the wall, frankly, for years. But now finally, uh, a lot of the older folks nothing against older folks. I'm old. I'm an older folk, but, <laughs> but uh, they uh, maybe with older ideas, uh, retired. We've got like seven new doctors over the last five years and they're great. Uh, you know, and they are on board with, yeah, let's make shots less, uh, less of a trauma for kids. So we established a comfort committee and we refer kids to get comfort plans to this great website. Um, which is a foundation called Meg Foundation for Pain, started by a friend, a psychologist friend of mine, Jody Thomas, and get your comfort plan before you come in and let's make it better. And so we have a comfort committee where we've established um, policy that no kids too big to sit on their parents' lap get gets held down. Yep. Um, and um, we use, um, whether it's numbing cream or a little device called Buzzy the Bee. It sits on your arm and freezes the area and then buzzes so you don't feel it as much. Or simply like I'll, I'll use simple mental imagery or relaxation that I, I've talked about with our staff uh, or focusing on something else. Um, anything to make pokes easier for kids. And this is important because 25% of all adults develop needle phobia so don't go to the doctor. Right. And a good percentage of people that refuse COVID vaccines for their kids is because their kids are afraid of needles. And uh, over half of kids are, are afraid of needles. Why not? That's not surprising. Um, you know, uh, and, and so to reduce that fear and make things easier for them um, is going to help them get better medical care in the future because they'll want to come to the doctor right. <laughs> instead of not come to the doctor and, and, and why not get... right like that that's the whole thing like why not sit with the this kid and make him feel comfortable about that situation it's only going to be more beneficial for the kid in the long run yeah. and your practice in the long run um and i see a lot of kids who have fear of needles and same thing especially with like covid and covid vaccines like we we did a lot of prep to to be able to get in and get the shot and then move on and you know kind of process around that but it is a big concern when you think about it and they have a bunch of shots when they're young right? and so like it starts very early and if we can kind of associate that comfort with it not that they're going to love getting shots but like have more comfort and less fear around it 
I think that that model in general can really make a change towards healthcare uh, in, in our world. And, you know, I, I think there are other places that do this really well, other countries that do this really well. And, you know, a mixture of, you know, different types of uh, mind-body medicine, but then also um, supplementation and things like that can be really helpful as well. Um, it's really funny because I, when I go and get shots and I get blood drawn, I, you know, I have a bunch of tattoos and the people who do it are, ah, this is going to be no, no problem. And they're a little, like, to be fair, like I have no, no issue with getting shots, but they're a little bit more rough. <laughs> and in my mind, I'm still like, I, a shot goes deeper than my tattoo needle did. Uh, yeah. I still don't want you to be rough with it. Like, let's let's kind of do a calming. So I I do some I joke around with them, which helps me calm down. But you know, they go a lot faster because they see the tattoos. And I think it's again, this is just like a a fun little aside. But that's the same kind of thing. Is like, well, we don't want to assume based on you know what people look like or their assumed experiences of oh we're just going to go in like this we should really sit and cultivate that connecting piece so um i love that your practice is doing that because it is yeah especially we one of the folks on the comfort committee my colleague ellie cates um she you know has some younger kids and she's really uh focused on those those babies um comfort holds for babies so Mm -hmm. babies will get their um their shots on the parents' lap, uh, maybe nursing if they can. Um, so that's, you know, that that's that's really a good thing. And what you said about joking with it that when you, as you got the tattoos that um, made me think about people's idea of say, quote, hypnosis is take a deep breath, go to your your happy place and mm-hmm. You know, and then, and then the, the the kid may say, "I don't want to go to my happy place. I'm like right here. And what are you doing to me right right now?" So right. sometimes joking really, really, really helps. So yeah, I historically, if I have kids who are really nervous about coming and will play Uno the first time and make it, you know, it's one of those games that no matter who plays Uno, it gets competitive, <laughs> and so we always make it fun. And I have them say, "Okay, if you win this round." you can dare me to do something silly in the hallway where a bunch of people are and more often than not they'll win. Um, Sometimes I let them win, but just to kind of calm them down and I'll do, they'll have me do the worm in the hallway and a bunch of people will see it in their lap. And that's one of the things I think working with kids is always really important is we're asking them to come in and do these big things you know, get the the toenail cut out or kind of sit and be vulnerable. And we have to show that we're also able to do that and can kind of be through joking or sharing our own kind of journeys. And I think that connecting point makes all the difference in healing. And I love that. That's what you're doing. I've said this like 18 times, but the message of what you're doing and the message of your book, I think is fantastic. I'm wondering if we could talk a little bit more about the book you're, you're kind of putting it out there to kind of explain things to, to people yeah. in general. So there's some understanding. Um, I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about the structure of it and some of your favorite chapters oh, yeah. before we move on to our uh, fake lightning round questions that we have at the end of the podcast. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, so the structure of it is, is, um, you know, I talk about uh, a little bit about, 
I mentioned actually the the young man with the chest pain mm-hmm. uh, as as my introduction and how traditional medicine often doesn't work for many of the disorders we treat and how frustrating it can be. And then I talk about kids and their imagination, how they live in the world of their imagination. I mean, they learn through play and they have imaginary friends and they do imaginary school with their friends and imaginary uh, tea parties and forts and all kinds of stuff. And we could use that imagination in the service of of therapy um, and that it's often underused. And I talk about the placebo response, how so often if someone believed the power of belief, um, if someone, uh, uh, in fact, there's a whole book written called The Power of Belief. Um, if someone believes something is gonna happen, uh, for example, when I joined the practice, a guy had just retired named Dr. Ralph Lewin Epstein. He gave all the kids Dr. Ralph's blue medicine, which he said would cure their colds. They believed it cured their colds, so it probably did help them because they believed it was going to. And study after study has shown if you prescribe something and you say, this is really going to work, it often works. Like people, they, there was a study of MRI changes in the brain once depressed folks are given SSRIs like Prozac or Zoloft. Well, then a study was done showing that the changes in the MRI, actually, they did it before the patient even started the medicine, even before they picked up the prescription. They were just given the prescription, and then they somehow thought of the idea, let's do an MRI now, and it was already changing. So the power of belief. Then I I talk about uh, integrative pediatrics in general, and I talk about all the modalities. It's kind of a fact-filled chapter um, about... um, you know, and the evidence that's out there, uh, you know, there's really very little evidence for herbs in children. Um, that's one reason I'm quite conservative. It's not my field. On the other hand, uh, anybody that um, uses, um, um, oh, I'm blanking on the name of that, that stuff you spread on your chest, you Mix. know, for cough. Vicks Vapor Rub. Rub. Yeah. yeah, that's actually the oldest herbal medicine out there. It's pure eucalyptus and menthol. Yeah. It's eucalyptus as an herb, of course. And then when I read about all the bad things that happen with herbs, doctors have written, oh, there's been a lot of poisoning. When I went, went looked at the primary sources, most of the poisonings were from Vicks Vapor Rub because kids shouldn't eat it. <laughs> so that was the main problem with herbs and kids. Yeah. But anyway, I talk about that. I talk about all the different types of integrative medicine, concentrating on mind and body, which is what I really specialize in. Um, and then I uh, talk about pain in general, how this the source of pain is mainly in the brain. Uh, it's, you know, we have nerves that sense pain all over our bodies. However, the nerves that sense pain are very close to the nerves that send bur- that sense burning. So oftentimes we can't tell whether it's pain or burn- burning. That's a, a physical thing. The nerves often get confused. And as they go up to the brain, the brain has inhibitory or, um, uh, or centers that can inhibit 
uh, the sensation or exaggerate it. Mm -hmm. And then, then uh, stimuli could be, uh, or um, you could have um, messages sent down the nerves through the descending fibers to modulate the pain further. So you've got all kinds of ways that pain can be altered. Um, either acute pain, like an injury, or headache from a, from a fall or a stomach bug, or even more so with chronic pain, because chronic pain is much more related to our previous experience with pain, cultural factors, uh, our emotions, the words that the that the healer uses, and I have a whole chapter on language. Uh, you know, for example, if you're told something's going to hurt like hell, it probably will. But if you're told something's not going to hurt at all, the kid will probably feel something and you'll think the doctor is a liar. So by saying it feels different for everyone, that's more accurate. You know, right. you may feel a little poke or maybe burning or it may be more like pressure. I wonder what it'll feel like for you, you know, or this previous doctor who predicted that this was going to go on forever or we have no cure. Right. So, uh, my wife, for example, I'm, this book is not about acupuncture, but I'm a strong believer in acupuncture. My wife developed a um, a uh, a tremor of her eye of her eyelid, so she was blinking all the time. Right. Blepharospasm, it's called. She saw a neurologist, then an ophthalmologist, then a neuroophthalmologist. She got botulin toxin injected in here. She went to pick it up and was very embarrassed at the pharmacy, saying. I'm not getting this to look younger. It, it's for the, and, and actually after that treatment, her eyelid was drooping, but it was still tremoring. And and she saw Jim Moran and Belchertown an acupuncturist who said, I think I can cure this will acupuncture will work for you. And after it works, you'll probably need less thyroid medicine. So um, she takes uh, thyroid medicine for hypothyroidism. Mm -hmm. And after three sessions, buffer spasm was gone. So there's a lot of things that Western medicine doesn't know. And it's in our, it's to our advantage to be humble. You know, right. I know I can't quote fix everything, but you know, I, I know what the evidence shows. And I said, I'm, I think I can help you. So then I go, the main focus, the main part, uh, main section of the book is on um, specific disorders like headaches, stomach aches, bedwetting, respiratory disorders, um, uh, tics, um, depression, anxiety, sleep disorders, sleep problems is really important. Yeah, a big thing. AD, yeah. ADHD, autism, all the different disorders. And I go into some specific examples. Um, like I'll just give you one under respiratory disorders. There's this thing called vocal cord dysfunction, which is, um, um, where it's often thought of the kids have asthma, for example, but um, it's not asthma. It's a disorder of the vocal cords where they open when they should close and close when they should open. So kids wheeze, but it's specifically inspiratory wheezing. They wheeze when they breathe in instead of out. <laughs> so many kids uh, with anxiety can develop it or athletes, curiously enough. So they get the albuterol and then they uh, they don't get better. Right. So this this was a girl who was a, 
uh, who who developed this. She she went up and went to the ER and they gave her all this albuterol. Didn't work. Ended up in the ICU. They finally said vocal cord dysfunction. You can go home. Make an appointment with a speech therapist, which is one of the two therapies that work: speech therapy and a hypnosis. Speech therapy takes longer. My my, this was years ago now. My 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 partner called me the next day. Said this girl's in the office now. You got to see her, Dave. An emergency consult. So uh, I saw her the next day. She came in. I'm still having trouble breathing. I can't even talk. So I taught her. I'm I'm shortening this for purposes of your your program. Yeah. But I taught her some relaxation breathing. And then I looked across the the parking lot at um, our big Y we have here. And I said, you know, sometimes there's a problem with the automatic doors in the supermarket where they open automatically and they close automatically, but sometimes they might open when they should close and close when they should open. And there were some workmen over there going to fix it, but before they could fix it, they just had to take a deep breath. And I saw her take a sigh and she left the office breathing better and she was supposed to come back, but she never could. She never did, never ha had to. The mother told me she was completely better. And not only that, she found that this asthma she had playing soccer seemed to be better. So there's some remarkable stories like that using the power of metaphor. And then the third section is kind of broadening out my discussion to how these techniques are being used in schools how I use them during the COVID pandemic, um, how they're useful in international health, because I did some work in the kingdom of Bhutan for a couple months, and um, and so forth, and how it's going to so, change medicine and change all our lives for the better. Yeah. I, I, oh. Everything you mentioned is kind of on par of what we try to do here at the Promethean Project and what our goals are with it. And I love that, you yeah. know, you're putting that stuff out there. The power of... of uh, words and the verbiage that you use, I think is so important. And I, I talk to people about this all the time is that, you know, today might be a terrible day, but it's never really tomorrow's going to be better because that sets it up yeah. to be better. And then if it doesn't happen, you're more crestfallen. And so it's always, it's always tomorrow's a new day. We have another chance. We have another way to move through this, right? You, you get to kind of approach it in a different way. And I think everything that you're saying about the wordage that you use also mimics that is this generative opening up as opposed to, oh, it's got to be positive or negative. I like to look at things as generative or limited because there's more play there and more, you know, even if I do step on that Lego, I can still say, oh, let me be generative on how I approach the day. And maybe it will get better. Maybe it won't, but I, at least if I approach it this way, it gives me that option of moving forward. So I love all of that stuff. All right. Are you ready? We're going to hit this. I keep okay. calling it the fake lightning round because it's not yeah. really fast. It is yeah. some thought thinking. So I'll have to, my again, friend I keep... Bel, my, my friend Monty Belnanti did that was interview with Wilco. So maybe oh, okay. that could be as good. Okay. Rock, paper, scissors, that kind of thing. Okay. <laughs> well, not quite, but close. So uh, <laughs> okay. the first question is always, what superpower would you have if you could have any superpower? superpower okay to cure everybody from incurable illness 
Nice. <laughs> Zap. There you go. <laughs> Answer like what have you and to cure all hatred and meanness in the world. All right. What do you think your true life superpower is? Like your strengths, your skill set. What would be your superpower? Uh, I think a curiosity and compassion. I'm, I'm curious about people, about their their lives and all the interesting lives they live. And I, I feel I, I do really have compassion for folks. Great. Uh, the next question, next question uh, I kind of make up on the fly. And so this one is about the mind-body uh, connection yeah. that you talk a, a lot about in mind-body medicine. What is one of the most astounding facts that you found in researching and using mind-body medicine? Uh, it, 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 research, research is that, for example, my, one of my mentors, uh, uh, Karen Olness was able to have real surgery tendon, uh, a tendon graft in her thumb and her hand without anesthesia. So you're, you can, this is so powerful that you're actually able to really have a surgery or or the, or the so-called miracle cures whatever whatever causes them yeah. um and you know, you know the the monks in 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 the himalayas that can slow their heart rate to 30 or, or or melt snow as they you know or if you can believe it levitate those are some of the amazing things i've read about the the things in my experience were things like this girl I mentioned with the vocal cord dysfunction right. that if you say the right words it's like it's it's like um it's like penicillin for strep right? you know or, or or it's like a shot that gets you better like that's and it doesn't happen every day granted but if you find the right words and the right connection with your patient the right rapport things can be things can amazing things can happen awesome and this one's special just because of, uh, you know, how we found out about each other and we connected. Uh, what's a really embarrassing story about Drew, your son-in-law, that you would like to share today? No, I'm just kidding. You don't have to answer that. <laughs> just one. <laughs> yeah, all right. <laughs> that one's for you, Drew, if you're listening. Uh, uh, yeah, I won't I'm, mention I'm, I'm sure Dr. Dave will tell me something off the air. So <laughs> I won't mention the dog food. Okay. okay. Um, yeah. So last question for you. Uh, Dr. Dave, is if you could sum up everything that we've talked about in this hour together in like a minute pitch, just for the listener to take away, like what would you really want our listeners to take away from this episode? Okay. Um, so I'm actually going to set my, cause I, I tend to talk a lot. So I'm going to actually <laughs> set my watch for a minute. All right. All right. So I, I think what I'd like to uh, everyone to take away is the mind-body connection is real and very powerful. And there's a lot more that healers, um, uh, doctors, nurse practitioners, PAs, what have you, should be doing to utilize it. And that we have a lot of inner strengths that we can access that we don't even know we have. And by utilizing these inner strengths and learning these mind-body techniques, uh, we can just live happier, healthier lives, and the medical system can save a lot of money and uh, save, uh, prevent a lot of unnecessary tests and do better preventative care and cure a lot of illnesses that we don't 
have good cures for with uh, traditional traditional medicine. I love it. And I appreciate you timing yourself. I saw you look over a couple of times. So you're like, oh, I got to make sure I, I, I get in there. And I think that's a really valid point. Uh, one of the things I wanted to point out, but forgot until just now is exactly what you're saying. Working in pediatrics, working with, you know, younger people, I think is a really, it can be hard sometimes, but I think it's also a really generative way to do this work because you start cultivating these ideas at a younger age. And as we know, the brain's elastic. And so if we can help kids work on, you know, shifting these perspectives and shifting these ideas at a younger age, there's more of a chance that this carries on through the lifetime and we can really cultivate this, this really good system of healing and, and health. So again, yeah, and thank what, you. Yeah. What's really cool is that uh, I hate to interrupt, but, but uh, even more than a lifetime I've seen, I've been in this practice long business long enough that I'm seeing children of children I've seen and mm -hmm. these kids grow up and teach these techniques that they, I taught them as kids to their kids. That's so awesome. it's really, it's like, yeah. Yeah, well, great. Dr. Day, thank you so much for coming on. I'm really, really yeah. honored that to sit and talk and hold this space together. And I really appreciate yeah. all that you're doing and a different way of healing. A doctor helps children heal with my body medicine. We're hoping that gets on shelf soon. So keep an eye out for it. And uh, I'll put your Dr. Dave, I'll put your information in the show notes. If anyone wants to follow you on Instagram or Facebook or has yeah. any questions, you know, um, that will be in the show notes. So, right. I have, I have a website. I hope to get more active there and reactivate my blog. It may take a while for the book to come out because just accepted by an agent, but then she's got to find a publisher. I'm, I was going to do the self-publishing route, but it looks like it'll come out with a traditional publisher. Fantastic. That takes a process. So, well, thank you again. Thank you. And thanks for everything you do.